Hello again, Anthony here. Welcome back to the Break the Twitch podcast for a special edition episode with my friend Joshua Becker. He's the author of best-selling books, The More of Less and The Minimalist Home, with his new book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distractions to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, comes out April 19th, everywhere books are sold. In this special edition episode, we catch up on what I've been up to, what inspired Joshua to write this new book, and discuss themes from the book around identifying distractions that prevent us from living a more meaningful life. It is highly conversational, very laid back episode, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. You can find more from Joshua at becomingminimalist.com and do pre-order his new book, Anywhere Books Are Sold, coming out April 19th. Thanks again. Enjoy the episode and let's get it started. Joshua, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. It is good to be here. Second time, right? Second time? Second time part de. There are several firsts happening right now. One, this is my first podcast episode that I've recorded in over like two years at this point. So this is a special edition of the podcast. And it's been three years since you were on the first time. So you are not only the first guest to make a return to this podcast, but this is also the first uh, not in-person version of it. So wow. we're, we're tackling what, uh, new territory here. What could possibly be so exciting that I would get an exclusive <laughs> podcast interview and well, a repeat? We'll have to we'll have to uncover that as we as we move forward into the, the podcast interview. Um, I look forward to being interviewed, but what have you been doing? What it, two years, huh? What's the, what are you up to? Two years. You know, I knew this question was coming and I knew that it'd be a little bit difficult to answer that the, the primary thing over the last two years. And I guess through the majority of the pandemic is I've been doing just a lot of like personal work, a lot of like therapy and personal development stuff. And it's been a very interesting time, especially in the last year, where a lot of my work with Break the Twitch has been always in line with this, with personal growth and intentionality and really my own explorations of what it's like. Uh, I didn't start out talking about this, but what it's like to be a person who has ADHD, like attention deficit disorder, uh, in a world exploring and pursuing intentionality. And, and so it's always been on that path, but the interesting thing is much below the surface, there's always kind of stuff going on emotionally, things going on with patterns and all that kind of stuff that really got, I think, pretty intense for me. And it, it got to a place where I was having difficulty sort of writing about what I was going through while it was happening on the blog and creating content about it. And so I felt myself having to pull back from from the medium a bit. Stuff that you didn't want to share or stuff that you didn't feel you had processed enough to be able to share or all of the mm -hmm. above. Really, the so maybe there's a little bit of fear there, uh, but I think it was mostly the latter which is okay. that every week going through this, some new aspect of the thing that I would have discovered unraveled itself and, and showed itself. You and Amy are good. Everything's good with you and uh, you and Amy, right? Yeah, from what you, I hear. So. Things, things are great. 
we, um, you know, we have really taken the opportunity over the last two years. We were already working at home together for, you know, since like 2016. So in that sense, adjusting to the pandemic was not too different from what we had already been doing, but it definitely uh, gave us some space to like <laughs> the opposite of space, but, but, you know, it gave us some time and some energy to like really work through some things that, that have been really beneficial. So uh, let's see, I suppose it's my turn to ask you some questions now. Oh, this doesn't have to all be about me, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what? We, um, you knew I was writing the book um, and I'm sure I've talked to you about what I was writing, but we certainly haven't talked since you actually received the book and Mm -hmm. got a chance to read it. And so I'm interested to hear your thoughts and if it was different than you thought it was going to be or if you loved it way more than you thought you would. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear a good friend of mine talk about, uh, talk about the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what I found, so I think what deserves an introduction is the fact that you have this book, Things That Matter, coming out mid-April, right? April 15th? April 19th. 19th. April 19th. Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I love the title. Uh, it's it's a great book. I'll just start off with that. It's a great book. I just finished reading it yesterday. So just in time for our conversation, which is wonderful. Um, and I did find it quite interesting that I was there at that, that session, that workshop with Charlie. And I remember you going, you know what? I got it. You're just, you have this moment of like, you know what? I think I know what my next book's going to be. Uh, and and that was pretty cool to read the story of that in the book and how you yourself were selecting in that moment. What's the thing that I really want to focus on? Did I tell you that night I, I wanted to write a book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I, that's how I remember it. It's, it's always interesting. Someone asked me, um, I was on a, a podcast about speaking and they asked me about a story that I tell. And they're like, so how much of that is actually true? And I said, I, I think all of it's true, but you tell a story so many times and it's hard to remember which of the details are actually true or not. And I, I'm happy to hear that because I remember being there and, and thinking I, I need to write this book. Um, so someone who was there can can vouch for me. I appreciate that. I can definitely... I forgot you were there. How terrible is that? <laughs> I okay. forgot you were there. It's fine. Oh. It's fine. I was a little I, upset yeah. that I, I didn't see my now. name in the book, you know, right there. And, you know, and my good friend Anthony stood up and started applauding. And then everyone else stood up, started applauding. I got it. <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not offended. Uh, it, so, it, it was right uh, so after quick, I moved. Yeah. So quick background. So the... Um, Charlie Gilkey wrote a book called Start Finishing, and mm-hmm. he put on a, a workshop um, here in, in the Phoenix area, and um, it was all about finishing, like completing projects, and he asked us, he said, what is the, he said, I want you to think about something specific as we talk about some of these principles, and so at the very beginning, he said, close your eyes and answer this question. If you were to die today, what is the one thing you would regret not accomplishing or not completing, um, not finishing. I forget what it was specifically. 
And, um, and I, yeah, in that moment, I had just come off a retreat um, where I had spoken about a lot of these issues and things. And so my mind was just in that spot thinking about those conversations. And then, um, yeah, I, I thought to myself, I would be upset that I didn't write this book that that takes the idea of minimalism beyond physical possessions, but what are some of the other distractions, I think, that keep us from meaningful things? So that was that was it. And uh, what did you come up with? Do you remember what you thought of in that moment? No, no, okay, no. I d- you I probably don't. already finished it. That's why. Yeah, well. It just took me three years. Well, you know, you're, I would say your project is probably a little bigger than uh, in, in scope than, than what I would have been thinking about at the time. Uh, when was that? Was that was that mid twenty nineteen? I would. I it must have been fall. It must have been fall of twenty nineteen. Early fall twenty nineteen. Um, early fall twenty nineteen. I bet that week I emailed um, either my editor or my agent and said, "What do you think about this?" And then. Um, Kind of just sat in the back of my head a little bit. Both people, I ended up emailing both, and they both thought it was a, a healthy project. But it wasn't until after the pandemic, uh, wait, until after the pandemic hit that I sent out the book proposal. Must have been, must not have been until then, because I remember sending an email to my agent like, did I miss my window? <laughs> Are we still publishing books? Did I miss my window? But, <clears throat> Is this still an industry, a thing that happens? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I do remember you t- literally tapping your pencil or pen like three times on the table, you know, just kind of giving a couple taps and you just, you had that moment. And you just, I think really? I, I think wow. I, yeah, I, I, it was like clear as day. And, um, it, and <laughs> you just kind of look up and you go, I think I know my point. I think I know what my next book's going to be about. <laughs> wow. Now I, when I finished the minimalist home, I didn't think I would ever write another book again. It was, um, it's not a it's not a medium that I love writing for. I love the 600 to 1000 word mm. blog post articles. I feel like I was built to to write in that type of word count. 60,000 words is always difficult for me and requires a lot of me. I always gain about 20 or 25 pounds when I do it and it's uh it has a lot of stress on my life. I, I didn't think I was going to do it. Um, <clears throat> and so at that workshop, when the idea came to me and if I tapped my pen a couple times, I was like really debating, do I want to go through this again or not? And, um, I'm glad I did. So, man, so that actually is a perfect segue here because you, you chose something despite clearly it being something that puts a lot of additional stress on you. It changes your life in a, in a substantial way in terms of what is required of you and your work. And so, and it sounds, I remember that around the the second book that it was pretty stressful and you're like pretty unsure if that was the route you wanted to go. So, uh, so what did that look like? I mean, this is you stepping into essentially the what I see as the underpinnings of, of the book, which is choosing the things that might be more difficult, that we might be afraid of, that we might feel might be an additional burden, but it's the thing that really matters. So, <clears throat> so what changed for you or what 
did that look like going into this process again? Did you change how you approached it from the second book to this one? Uh, yes. Um, but if I were to take even a, a step back, I think one of the things that I've always loved about Charlie, who this podcast is about now, apparently, um, <laughs> is he's always, uh, um, the first time I heard him speak about work and the importance of work and the value of work, I, I just aligned with him right away because I, I am not a, um, hey, <clears throat> we, we should stop working, we should all go lay on the beach, we all work too hard, and life should be more about doing nothing. Um, like, that's an extreme. Obviously, there's you can obviously be working too much. But, but my worldview has never been that work is something that we should be trying to get out of. Um, but instead, that um, good work is meaningful and significant, and there's fulfillment in there. Um, and I think entirely ingrained in the idea of work is that it's not going to be easy. Like work is different than play. And even doing work that you love is going to require some effort. There are going to be some things about it that you, that you don't like. Um, I just made a comment the other day to, to someone who is talking about a stress-free life. And I'm like, I don't even think I want to live an entirely stress-free life. Like if you don't have any stress in life, then like what what are you like what are you trying to solve? Like if you if there isn't something that you that you want to be accomplishing and want to be doing. <clears throat> so so just a step back. So I wasn't afraid to know that writing a book was going to require some work and effort and add some stress onto my life. I wasn't afraid of that, but there is a balance of, is it worth the stress? Is there something better that I could be doing that would serve just as much good that, that would be not necessarily easier, but more aligned with who I was? Like, I, th I think you're always kind of balancing those things out. Um, <clears throat> so the deeper part, the other part of your question about like, was there some things differently that I did? So yeah, I had, um, I had an editor named Eric Stanford who um, really served as an editor for my first book, The More of Less, and really, I think, took 600,000-word 600, blog articles and like showed me how to put it into a book. Um, he was also my editor for The Minimalist Home, where when I was really stuck at some, at some different points in the book, he stepped in and took an even larger role in... Like, let me help you write some of these aspects and let me help you put your thoughts into words. <clears throat> and so when I was going into things that matter, I, uh, it was going into things that matter with the understanding that he would help me in the same way that he did with The Minimalist Home. And so um, when I emailed um, my agent about writing another book, I'm like, I think I'm going to write another book. I need to talk to Eric. I got to make sure it's something that he's on board to help me write, um, otherwise I'm not I'm not going to do it because I know I couldn't do it myself. So, um, so yeah, I got him on board uh, much earlier with taking a, a more expanded role in editing. Uh, not 
not a ghostwriter, but more than an editor. Like so, somewhere, somewhere in between. I think his name's his name's even listed on the um, on the inside cover of um, Joshua Becker with Eric Stanford, just because um, there's going to be a big role that he was going to play. Nice. I will. I will say. I I really appreciate you sharing that aspect of of the writing process. I think there is a certain perception in just about all industries um, that we don't really share the help we get. And Mm. it definitely, you know, as someone who seeing you having written now three books, having built, you know, all of these different things, it's nice to hear that even you as this super author producing this stuff, you, you like know how to ask for help and that sometimes you need help too. Like that's a big, that's a, that's a big thing, right? Because you do have this message. You clearly have this passion for the work that you're doing and it comes through in the book. Like it's a great book, very inspiring with a lot of wonderful examples, you know, of, of just different stories from your own life and, and others. And, and so it's nice to, to see you as a human from that perspective too, you know, um, it gives us all a little more permission to, to ask for help in, in that way when we, instead of just punishing ourselves, stepping through uh, something. So it sounds like that change you went in with, instead of halfway through going like, Ugh, I need to, mm. you know, you created a support structure up front and you learned from that experience, which is, I mean, that's like gold right there. Yeah. 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 So true. Mm. So true. <clears throat> Something that reminded me of the earlier that the concept of magical thinking, Melody Beattie, it talks about this in one of her books that it's like, uh, we think that, oh, you know, if I could just get that thing, I just need to turn this one corner, then everything will be fine. I won't, I won't have any stress. I'll live a good life. If I, oh, if I could just earn this much money and then, then everything will be fine. Yeah, I, I would say, um, <clears throat> so for me, it's about, um recognizing what i'm chasing or pursuing or desiring um helps me uh accommodate or understand or um i don't know if appreciate is the right word the the stress and the the difficulties that come along so um if my goal in life is just to make as much money as I possibly can. I think that's a pretty empty goal and not a real meaningful goal when we get to the end of life. It, it's fun. It allows us to, to do some things, but I don't know if we get to the end of our lives and we're like, man, I'm so glad I just made a ton of money. And so if the stress that I'm taking on in my life or if the burden that I'm taking on or if the hardships that I'm enduring are all a result of me just trying to make a bunch of money, then um, I think they're harder to they're harder to understand because I'm it's like I'm it's like an obstacle in the way of getting to a finish line that that doesn't really matter in the long run. Um, or if my, if my whole goal is just to be as famous as I possibly can, or to be like the highest ranking 
person and the organization that I could possibly be. Like when those, when that's the goal, then um, I think the stress that we take upon ourselves isn't isn't always appreciated or, or even wise. But if the goal is, hey, I want to, I I want to be a a, a good parent. I want to be um, a faithful spouse. I want to be uh, a contributing member to society. I want to solve this problem that I see in the world. Then the stress that accompanies that, I think, is a little easier to. I'm 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 missing the word. I don't know what the word is, but um, when stress comes because I'm chasing the right things, then I think it becomes easier to manage, understand, appreciate. I, I don't know the word there. Um, mm-hmm. and I hope I'm making some sense there, but anyway, it definitely makes that's kind sense. of, that's kind of what the, that's, that's kind of the message of the book, right? Like when we, um, I just list these distractions that, that I think keep us from things that matter, things like money and possessions and fame and leisure and happiness. And when those are the things that we're chasing, um, and stress pops up, then it's a little less easy to I still don't know the word. <laughs> to, I understand what you're getting at for sure. Yeah, it it it's like um, it's it's not for naught. It is like it, it, in the sense of it's not like this just malaligned. You know, you're over here chasing more of the wrong thing and yeah. feeling a ton of stress while easier doing to bear. it. Yeah, easier to bear. Maybe I, I think of. Um, some of my friends who are raising special needs children and like it is like it's stressful and it's it's hard work but it's a it's a burden that they don't mind bearing because it's 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 love right it it's it's meaningful and it's significant and uh, i think that that just becomes a different type of stress to bear than i'm just trying to make as much money as i possibly can mhm mhm yeah in in the book you say um you can never have enough of the wrong thing or, or something to that effect. Uh, and it feels like there's a certain alignment around that, right? The, it ties into this idea that you can chase the money and you're going to feel the stress and then probably look to, to deal with that stress in a way because there isn't the same kind of symbiotic relationship with that stress so like the love that comes or the the sort of in in doing the extra work that that it takes to raise a child with special needs or or just any any sort of Mm. love-based initiative if you will um and maybe you know you can turn that on its head when it's like well i want to make as much money as i can so that i can donate as much money as I can throughout my life. You know, like maybe there's additional layers that realign that purpose in, in, in a way. Um, so a lot of stuff to explore there. That's really, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I, that, that was a good point that you made about, I, cause I, I think one of the problems with money, one of the problems with possessions, fame, whatever it is, is that, that those things never fully satisfy. And so, we can make way more. We can have more money than we ever thought we would have, and still not feel full, you know, fulfilled. Still not feel complete, and so we just keep chasing more money. But like, we're never going to reach the end goal where it's going to provide 
for us what what we're wanting it to provide and so um there's no i could yeah symbiotic relationship that's a good way of putting it where i can i can add more stress to get more money and then i get there and it hasn't you know provided that meaning that i thought it would and um there's not that positive feedback loop of investing a day in work that matters or solving a problem in the world and you get to lay your head on the pillow and even though you're exhausted you you feel good about the the work that you did because you knew it was for um for things of lasting purpose and meaning Mm. Mm -hmm. i was thinking how um like it's great to work on ourselves and figure out ourselves and overcome you know things ingrained in us or things that we learn like understanding understanding all of that but there seems like there needs to be a and and this is probably pretty common but maybe I'll just say it for anyone who it's helpful or not like there needs to be a goal for that I think that goes beyond ourselves right like it's I'm not fixing myself I'm not uh, I shouldn't even use that phrasing I'm not going through therapy just for my own selfish thing, but like, I want to be the best version of myself that I can be so that I can accomplish the most good in the world for the most number of people. So, um, even, even in that, I, I, that just came to mind when you were talking about like having that goal or having something outside of myself that I, I know that this is going to achieve in the long run, I would, I would think would be more motivational in the long run. Um, right. But absolutely. Maybe you can can correct anything. (laughs) No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, it's very tricky because it is easy to get lost in all of it in, you did a great job of changing the language around fixing, because I think for many of us, that is, uh, it's very easy to feel like we need to fix ourselves. There's something wrong inherently. And so, so yeah, I mean, no one's ever going to be perfect. Uh, You know, no one's going to be perfect. And everyone is dealing with different things depending on neurotypicality or not. Mm -hmm. And, and so this idea of fixing ourselves is one that kind of we need to let go because we're not inherently broken. It's just maybe there are things that we have created unconsciously uh, that that have protected us at one point, and now they get in the way of, of our success or, yeah. or sabotage our ability to show up for ourselves and for other people or self-advocate or, um, like I said, this a perfect example is this conversation being that, you know, I'm methodical. I was like, oof, there's a whole book I got to read, right? But no, I just, I was able to go, let's just see. And, you know, I just, I just worked through it. And over two or three days, I read the whole thing. And instead of getting on my phone uh, to check my email, I just picked up the book and read that. So, you know, like these types of changes and things really do. Um, and and now it, it is in the spirit of what you're talking about. Now we're able to have a better conversation about the book and, and I have more context for all of it. And that serves mm-hmm. something far beyond me. And, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think that this book for me and ironically or not, um, 
came at a wonderful time because it definitely is like, it's hard. I mean, it's it's a hard book. And now I've spent the last two years facing a lot of these these statistics about, you know, looking at how much am I on my phone? What are the ways I'm coping without realizing it? Um, and so I wasn't surprised by a lot of the data in there and that chapter that maybe might be a little tough. Uh, it might, you know, give people a bit of a nudge there in terms of the reality of of what's going on and the fears that are holding us back. Um, it's some real stuff, but but yeah, that definitely came uh, at the right time. And it is uh, it is a book about far more than decluttering or owning less, although there's a chapter um, about that in there because I think it's pretty important. And do you, as someone who's been following me for a while, are we going to be okay? People going to people going to like this, appreciate this, or do they think I'm going to go too far? I, I mean, there's a few conversations I'm sure we've had that set up some of my claims about work and um, some of those things in there, but mm-hmm. we'll be all right, right? People are going to like it. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it doesn't come out for another month, and <laughs> you're like, I, I think people are going to like it, but maybe they're... What I will say I is that, know. to me... Um, I've had similar feelings too. I I felt, I even wrote, I think a guest post on your blog years ago about what happens after the physical decluttering. What now? Like, is this it? You know, have we reached the magical thinking? Oh, everything's going to be great now because I've reached this point. And so to me, this book answers the very logical next question of, okay, so that what? In order to do what? And so that's, to me, that's what this book is really about. It's about um, taking those bits that you've cultivated and yes, the, the conversation that we've had around like work and, and the value of it and taking meaning from it and, and that kind of thing. And um, I think it packages quite nicely. Now, I will say that the chapter on fear, I mean, I've spent two years of weekly work and lots of books, even getting to a place where I can understand what that feeling of fear is in my body and recognize when I'm feeling it instead of just kind of bouncing at the grocery store. <laughs> like this is a good example of awareness, right? I'd be at the grocery store and and uh, at the checkout aisle and just like irritated and like kind of sweaty and just jittery and feeling really uncomfortable. And I just never really thought about that. Like I never really processed what was going on for me. And so it took months to start checking in with myself and instead of just dismissing those feelings of of like anxiety or whatever to where now it's like okay so I sit in the car for a minute and go breathe and just like check in with myself and go okay I'm grounded good let's let's go in and then the act of finding everything I need is not as overwhelming as it once was when I would go in already anxious you know and so I'll say that the chapter on fear it goes deep, right? Like there's a lot of awareness there that needs to be built, but the, the the book definitely does a really great job of giving you the areas for where to look uh, and for where to start exploring and and to do that. Yeah, I found it. I found it very inspiring that way, and I think it's a great number three. I mean, it's a it's a great follow up to the work you've done. Thanks. Thanks. I think people and are yes, gonna love it. I would it. agree, yeah. and I would agree. I would, I would agree. I mean, I don't. Certainly, the the chapter on overcoming, you know, past mistakes in our lives isn't gonna be 
what everyone needs to overcome all the past mistakes in their lives. But um, if I, or the, the chapter on money, like the, just why we constantly think that we need more and more money all the time. Like one chapter isn't going to fix society's desire for more and more money. But um, if it can, if it can raise the issue, if it can um, get us to start thinking about it. I once heard someone mm-hmm. uh, describe college. Um, uh, he was like a president of a college or something. I don't remember his role. And he said, um, our job at college is to introduce subjects to young adults' minds that they'll be thinking about for the rest of their lives. Mm. And um, I, I look back at college, and I'm like, that's, that's it. Like, I was a banking and finance major, and I didn't learn everything about banking at college, but I learned the, the terms. Like, I, I learned how things function enough that now when I see news about banks, I, I can understand what's, what's happening. And I took a film appreciation class, and not that I understand everything about movies, but now... When I watch a movie, I can kind of filter it through what I learned in that class. And so, anyway, that's a long answer to um, to a non question. But if it if it can just you know raise some some issues about yeah, why do I constantly feel like I need more money all the time? Why do I just keep buying stuff that I don't need? Why why is praise so important to me? Why why do I why am I counting down the days until retirement and um, you know, maybe starting to reframe some of that thinking um, mm-hmm. is um, the goal. I really love the bit on um, the the exercise at the back of the book, mm-hmm. where it walks you through mm-hmm. the 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 kind of things. Because that's one of the things for me. It's been interesting because, like, I don't. I have so many things that I've always loved doing, and so many things that I could do. That it's a, it's been a bit hard to be, I guess, honest with myself about, like. What is that overlap in terms of something that I'm pretty good at that I can develop over time that there's actually a need for? And so that those pages in the back actually were a great exercise as well that I think people will really like. Um, yeah. Sometimes it, it, it can take some just intentional thinking, right? We day to day to day. I mean, we that's this is the book, right? Day to day. We just go through our lives chasing one thing after the next, sometimes without even stopping to pause and just take a breath and go wait, what, like, where am I? Where am I right now? What, like, am I doing, why am I doing this? You know, is it because I'm avoiding something else? Is it because whatever, you know? And there's a certain amount of self-compassion that I think we all need in this because things are pretty crazy, you know? Things are pretty intense out there. Um, And and that's, uh, it's, it's, it can be very difficult to pause. It can be painful to pause. and that awareness can be sometimes more difficult than not. But um, that's the only thing, you know, the only way to change is, is to find that awareness. So got to find it yeah. somewhere. Yeah, that's true. That's true. How do we, um, how do we get to the, how do we get to the end of our lives with uh, fewer regrets about, about how we live? Um, and my, my thesis in the book is that we, uh, we discern uh, what things matter in the long run, and then we remove the distractions that that are keeping us from that. And what you know, what what we're all gifted and inclined to pursue and accomplish is is different from from anybody else. Um, 
And so, so what is that? We I moved that that last section in the book, that bonus exercise about you know. So what, like, what do things matter to me, and and how what might what might my purpose be in the world? I I originally had it earlier in the book, um, but we we moved it to the end. So mm. anyway, just a little background. I had it super early, and then my editor's like, let's put it back at the end. So, Like a reference anyway. piece to, to go to. Yeah. yeah. One of the topics that, that stuck out to me, uh, it, it applies very deeply to Break the Twitch and, and the kind of stuff. The last two years have been full of intensity when it comes to news and current events and a lot of uncertainty. It seems like maybe there's just always been some level of uncertainty, especially when it comes to the news, when it comes to social media, Twitter, all of these things. And what I will say is, is that the, as someone who has, has to be on social media, or at least finds it one of the better mediums in which to reach a broad audience with the work that you're doing and that kind of thing, which you do acknowledge. I think it's easy to say like, well, just delete it, don't use it. But there is a very real issue with a lot of people using it. Um, from my personal experience, I saw that when the pandemic hit, I did a ton of doom scrolling. And just like the first month of the pandemic was just, I need to know more. What are the answers? And in the face of that uncertainty uh, came a lot of emotional dysregulation and a lot of not sleeping as much, and a lot of anxiety, and a lot of things that provided a lot of good fodder for therapy, <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of awareness when those feelings and emotions and those things are so dysregulated. I'm really curious about some of the strategies you talk about, the, your perspective on managing like this information overload during times of more intense disruption or conflict and, and things like that while still showing up, you know, I think that's a difficult balance. For me, uh, I, I think it comes down to, um, when is my, uh, when is it, uh, when is all the information becoming a distraction from something that I can do or can accomplish in the world. Um, I, I like news and I, I like following current events and it's something that, um, that, I, that I like doing and I feel that I have a capacity to do. So it's something that I, that I do, but there's a point where it can distract me whether it's just the consuming my time reading social media feeds reading stories watching press conferences like like I can I was gonna say this could even become watching sports like anything where it's just consuming more of my time than it should um, or it can be consuming my emotions or adding anxiety, stress onto my life, onto my life that, that keeps me from um, pursuing things that matter. I, I think it's important to be informed, but there's a point where I can do some stuff, but I can't. Like, like 
I'm not making any of the significant decisions that are affecting, you know, the the war or the the response to a pandemic. And so I don't know. Um I I feel like I can I can discern when when it's becoming too much, usually after it's become too much, but I can get to, hey, wait a minute, why am I wasting all my time doing that when I can still raise my kids well, when I can still write a blog post and publish it, when I could still create a YouTube video that, that talks about something that I, I can control. Um, and I, I I don't think there's specific boundaries that I, I put in place or specific tools necessarily that, that I use, um, but just kind of that realization of, okay, it's good to be informed, but at some point the information can um, actually get in the way of the, the good things that, that I can do, um, and that's when I think becomes the problem. Mm-hmm. It's that classic uh, control circle, right? Things I can control, things I cannot control, yeah. and how like is there a way that you've worked to foster awareness of that line like how you know this is one of the things that's been difficult for me is is that i will take a three-month break from instagram for example and then for some reason go back after oh man everything is quantifiably better in my life and then i go you know what okay i'm in a good spot i should i should get back together with her uh (laughs) You know, I think we can really make it work That's this funny. time. Uh, and, and so I go back and then it is, it's light. It's easy. Oh, look at that post. And then week to week to week to week, within a month or two, I'm like back in this place where I'm checking the Twitch is alive and well. And so I'm always curious about the built-in, how, how do we build that awareness of like, it's tightening its grip on me and how can we really use these things in a way if we do choose to use them uh in a mindful way that that aligns with our our mission our our purpose yeah yeah i uh i once posted on facebook i posted a um a quote where i said uh you don't need to be on social media to make a difference in the world and man people got so upset that i posted that on social media and they're like well what are you doing on social media and I said, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be on social media. I'm not saying that you can't accomplish good on social media. I'm just saying you don't have to be on social media to make a difference in the world. My grandpa was a, like a great example of just loved people and helped people and served people, but never had a Facebook account or Instagram account. But so anyway, um, that being said, like, because there, there is a spot where like you can use social media for good and it allows me to do what I do in the world uh, because of it, but it can very quickly become, um, it can become the thing that changes me uh, rather than I use to change it or, or use it to, to help other people. Um, and so, you know, uh, and both in just the way I see the world and in how much time how much time goes into it. So how do I, how do I accommodate that? Um, I, uh, I, I write in the book about taking a, um, 
uh, a, a fast, a technological fast, a, a digital detox, I, I, ta- I call it. Um, and I've done that um, pretty regularly, whether it's 29 days, I did it for 40 days one time, um, taking a week off. And a week isn't quite long enough, but two weeks, I would say at a minimum, and just like separating yourself from technology as best you possibly can and kind of reorienting yourself when you when you come back. Um, so I think there's some annual stuff that we can do. Uh, for me, I, I I can almost feel it at the end of every day, though, Anthony. Um, like I I can go home from a work day and be like, man, what did I do today? Like what what happened? I, I don't think I actually accomplished all that stuff. Oh yeah, I was listening to this all day long, and I was reading this all day long, and like you can see it at the end of the day or at the end of an evening when you go to bed and you're like, I think I just spent that whole night watching basketball games rather than talking to my daughter. Like what, what happened today? Um, and trying to do better the, the next day. I think this is a distraction that we, that we can do some specific things, um, annually or even monthly. Um, but the, the more I think we realize it every single day, then the more we, can try different things like okay this isn't working clearly i get i let me try putting the phone away right when i get home and not touching it until the next morning and let me just see what that does and uh, if that makes me a better parent and if it makes me a better spouse Um, i am going to block this social media site from my work computer and not go on it does this help me or does this hurt my work and um, evaluating that every day i think yeah that's a uh, man. That kind of stuff is a big part of where the, the the awareness comes into play. And I hear you kind of checking in with yourself at the end of each day and sort of doing a, what what might you call it a a post mortem for the day, a post mortem mm. DM. Is that, is that, is that, yeah, it's good. Um, Perfect. But like that's a that's a level of awareness that I mean, especially for me, does not happen unless there is specific intentionality. And that's one of the things I've been learning and really um, stepping into is what are the system checks that I can put into place that don't feel like uh, something is trying to tell me what to do or it can find me when I'm already, you know, just kind of like just trying to get things done and go through. But um, that sort of process of slowing down a little bit to, to check in and go, what did today look like? And man, the fears and the stuff that you talk about have so much to do with, I think, mm-hmm. us sort of avoiding some of that awareness or like, am I being the best, I don't have kids, but am I being the best father or am I being the best partner? How did I show up today? And that can be a very scary question to ask um, for uh, it was for me it's less so now but you know it's like are we showing up with our full selves are we you know accomplishing our potential these are all these big questions of of things and um having those checks i think is that's it's critical um but i think like for me i really had to build a lot of self-compassion into what that awareness would bring so like Mm. what's the truth uh because in a lot of ways in that experience, my, like my brain would just not see the truth or allow myself that awareness until I got to a point where I was able to be kind enough to not judge myself harshly for what I saw. 
how do you decompress? How do you how do you turn off at the end of the day and go into presence, grounding, not intense focus? How do you burn off maybe that built up, you know, work? I don't know if you feel like the work anxiety, but throughout the day, the more I focus, the more kind of bouncy I become. So I got to do something to flip that switch. Is that is that something that you're doing consciously in terms of how you get grounded at the end of the day? Probably the closest I can get to it is um, I used to work from home and then I, uh, I t- um, which is everyone's dream or was everyone's dream before the pandemic. I can't wait to just, I just want to work from home. But I, I always had a hard time, I think, separating work from, from home um, when, I, when I worked from home all the time. And so um, started started renting an office. And I think it, that, that drive time, it's an eight or nine minute drive. So it was never like a, a huge drive, but it was, a, it was a helpful one for me just to be able to, to put work behind me and um, go on to, to what the thing is ahead or, or leave leave home and um, go to work and uh, try to get in that mindset. So I think that that's probably um, played a bigger, it was several years now that I've, that I've done that and um, probably plays a bigger role in accomplishing what, what you mean there. Um, just the time to, to, I think, reorient around the, the new role that, that I'm walking into. It's been helpful for me. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do remember at one yeah. point in my life having, when I had, was working in an office and having that, ugh, like, ugh, like you just cross the finish line, uh, as you leave the office for the day. And I haven't felt that since 2016, but you know, <laughs> there is a certain amount of, uh, space that that little mini ritual of just transporting yourself from one place to the other would be like, help switch the modes. That makes perfect sense. I wonder, yeah. uh, what other kind of rituals can be implemented uh, yeah. that, that would create a similar effect? Cause I'm... Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't find it. I didn't find... <laughs> I'm thinking, we'll just go for a walk. And I'm like, ah, I'm sure I tried a lot of different things and it was never, I have to. It was never quite the same as um, grabbing my bag and walking out to the car and driving home. Yeah, there's something, to, there's something to be said for that, for sure. There's something to be said for that. So this came up, early on in, in your books and in your work is this idea of you're cognitively dissenting from the public opinion. How do we face this pressure, step into it, right? Like, what does that look like in terms of saying, you know what, everyone's doing this thing. I don't want to do that thing, but I still want to fit in and sort of have social connections and things like that. Is that a confidence thing? Is that like a just really believing in what we want kind of thing? Where do you think that that can be generated from in terms of going the opposite direction? So I've I've, I've put a lot of thought into um, like envy and uh, jealousy and and those types of things, and it come, stems from minimalism. And if I'm going to own fewer things, like Am I going to be jealous of other people who who have stuff, or how am I going to help my kids not be jealous? And um, it occurs to me that the the best way to overcome envy, and then I'll get to your question more specifically, the best way to overcome envy 
in our lives is to know that we are spending our money and our time on things that actually matter in the long run. And so if I'm donating to a charity that I believe in, or if I take a job where I make less pay, but it's uh, around something that I'm very passionate about, then I don't care if my neighbor bought a new boat because I'm using my money aligned, uh, I'm, I'm taking my resources and I'm directing it towards things that um, I believe are more meaningful and fulfilling in the long run. And so that's kind of my, my view on minimalism. And so when it comes to um, like other conversations about society and living differently than how everyone else is is living and if that's important to me or if I fall into that. Like if I just know that I'm pursuing things that actually matter with my life, then I don't care if I'm living a little bit differently than someone else. And I'm sure the temptations are always there to to just fall into chasing other things. But like, no, I'm, I'm, I own fewer things than, than other people might, but that's okay because I know why I'm, why I'm doing it. And I'm, I don't pursue minimalism so that I can have a whole bunch of money in my bank account because I don't think there's much satisfaction there in the long run. And if there's no satisfaction there, then I'm just going to fall back into buying what everyone else is buying or living how everyone else is, is living. And so, yeah, I, I think you even said it in your, in your question about, you know, I think when, when we're intentional about the right things, then it becomes easier to remain intentional in, in all areas of life, regardless of what anyone else is, is doing and pursuing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did I say that? That's, I, that's pretty smart. And there's probably, yeah, you did. I'm pretty sure you did. At least it came into my mind. Well, fair enough. And I, like, I think there's a, I mean, there's probably a bit of arrogance in that answer, just as I, just as I say it. Um, you know, well, if everyone else, are you saying everyone else is pursuing things that are wrong? And, uh, I, and, uh, yeah, I, I probably am. Like, I, I, like, I think, I think people can be chasing the wrong things with their life. And I think society and, and culture has kind of painted this picture of where you're going to find fulfillment and and what the things are worth that you should be chasing with your life. And I, I don't think that those are always the right things we're supposed to be doing. Um, just like you said, I think some of the systems are designed to benefit those who, who created them. And... Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think every commercial on television trying to convince me to to buy their thing has my best self-interest in in mind, and I I think it's very easy. So here's maybe where the arrogance comes out of this is that I know I'm just as susceptible to be chasing some things, chasing certain things. Like I know the distraction is prevalent all of the time and every day of my life. And I, I need to constantly be 
intentional about what I'm pursuing and, and what I'm chasing. And, and when I'm specific and intentional about that, and when I'm working hard to eliminate some of those other distractions, then, um, then I feel like I can be satisfied with the day, with the day that I lived and, and ultimately the life that I lived. Mm. Well, I love that. Yeah. Maybe, uh, thank goodness. Cause I talked a long time. Oh, well, you know, I think this gets into the realm of where does healthy, uh, it's this idea of, of obviously we know the very negative connotation to narcissism, but there is the flip side of that, which is a level of healthy ego or healthy, um, like positive narcissism, which is not a, typically a word we associate positively. Um, but in the literature, that's kind of what it talks about, where it says, like, we can believe that we are making the right choice for us and not let insecurity kind of drive us to just wanting to fit in because that's what everyone else is doing and still wanting to be a kind, generous, loving person to the people that we interact with and choose to spend our time with while understanding that they're going to make choices and it's not our role necessarily to like try to control or change what they're doing, but that we can believe in, in that we are doing the right thing for us and it can look different. And so it takes a little bit of ego. I think it takes a little bit of, of a healthy ego to be willing to step into something different and uh, not let the opinion of others uh, go like, well, you don't have a boat. You know, are you really, you can't be doing all that well, right? <laughs> you know, like there's all that, that's all the keeping up with the Joneses, all that good I don't stuff. Ever, I don't ever know if uh, boat is the perfect example <laughs> for that. It uh, sounds a bit, sounds a bit much, but when I was in Vermont, my neighbor bought a boat <laughs> and it was so, I always, and parked it in his driveway. Like I was pursuing minimalism and uh, he had just bought a, he bought a boat like during that time. And so it's always like the. The thing that comes to my mind of there's my neighbor buying a boat and I'm trying to get rid of everything that I have. So well, it's a funny example. But it's I always it's maybe it. a perfect example because, you know, that that old saying, uh, what are the two best days of a boat owner's life is, is the day they get it and the day they sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> maybe it maybe it applies better than you might uh, imagine. I appreciate this work. I uh, appreciate the book. And I think a lot of people are going to love it. Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life by Joshua Becker. By Joshua should be Becker. Should be available about anywhere you search. There we go. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. <laughs>